Hey guys, it's Megan just checking in before this week's episode. So I hope you're having a great week. Wanted to give you a heads up that in this week's episode, you are going to hear the co-host as in Bugs and Odie, my dogs, barking a little bit as well as you'll hear some scratching noises that is one of them digging on the couch. So just giving you a heads up with that. And I also wanted to thank two supporters this week that purchased me coffees. So Heather, thank you so much for getting me a coffee this week and as well as an anonymous supporter. So if you want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to check out my buy me a coffee link, which is in the show notes, as well as if you follow me on Instagram, it's in my link tree link. So that is all I wanted to tell you before this week's episode. This one's a great one, although I do say that about all of them. This one, I was very excited to record, and I also say that about all of them, um, but specifically because this individual was a professor of mine at college, and I really enjoyed his classes, and he's just an overall great human being. So I hope you enjoy this week's episode. As always, thanks for listening. So... I'm excited to welcome my former professor, and by former, meaning he taught me prior, he still teaches at Rider University, go Bronx. Um, so today I have Dr. Michael Edmondson. Um, how are you today? I'm doing well, Meg. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm so happy that you took the time to come on. Um, it's really cool, the connections that you can make, especially going to a smaller university. Um, to have great connections with professors. And that's one of the things I really loved about Ryder. Um, and I Yeah, and you were open you to them. Say. So that's what's most important, right? I mean, yeah. if you're not open to the connections, they're never going to happen. So good for you. Absolutely. So looking on your LinkedIn page, besides from being a professor at Ryder, you have had vast experience in a lot of areas. So can you just give me an overview of your journey for our listeners as well? Sure. So I started teaching, actually, my first job was teaching fifth grade social studies in Camden when I was, oh, heavens, 100 years ago when I was 23, 24. Uh, then I taught in the K through 12 system for a few years, started the PhD program, probably two years, three years after starting to teach, and then moved to Cabrini College uh, in Radnor, PA, and then finished my PhD and actually got recruited to go work at, out of all things, a pharmaceutical marketing research firm that only hired PhDs in the social sciences. So I got hired there and I was working alongside a PhD in economics, a PhD in sociology and so on. And I traveled the world interviewing physicians uh, for pharmaceutical brand teams. So I worked with like Pfizer, Novartis, mm -hmm. Maxwell-Smith-Klein and so on. Uh, and then I started my own consulting company and uh, one of my clients was the Philadelphia Center, which was then managed by Hope College. It's now managed by Albion College, and both of those schools are in Michigan. And instead of a study abroad program where students go to London or Tokyo or South Africa, uh, the Philadelphia Center is one of a few domestic programs where students from around the nation, specifically liberal arts students, uh, that, did, that wanted to get away from their small town, uh, spent a semester in Philadelphia. So they got a full-time internship. They uh, took some classes. I taught a few classes there as well. And I did that for five years. And then really there was no place to go. Um, I did everything I could there. And then I was an associate vice president for career development at Augustana College in Illinois. And then my dad died a year and a half into that. So I had to come back to Jersey to be with my mom landed at Mercer County College, and then most recently at New Jersey City University as Dean and um, Executive Director of the Fort Monmouth campus. And obviously we crossed paths because I started teaching that Ryder. Oh, when yeah. I was at Mercer, actually, so probably seven years ago now. And when did you and I share a class? Uh, two years ago? Yep, 2020. We shared yeah, two class years together. Ago. Yeah. Yep. yep. Wow. So yeah, so you know, in, in and out of higher education, different sizes. I've worked for some nonprofits as well as a consultant. Um, so yeah, it's a good breadth of experience. 
you know? absolutely and i'm yeah. just like looking through and i was like what hasn't he done by <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> then i hear people like oh i've been you know my entire career at one place i'm like that's great i mean good for them mm -hmm. i just it didn't work out that way for me you know mm -hmm. totally you just kind of go that. with the flow i mean you know it is what it is and you just keep moving forward in life so absolutely yeah. Yeah. so one thing that I find really cool is that you, along with all of your other titles, are an author. Yes. And this is your seventh <laughs> book, and I know you're working on your eighth book, but I can am. You tell me a little bit about where your most recent release came from, like the idea behind it for embracing ambiguity. Sure. So the first couple of books were really about the individual. And then I find myself writing with agility, the one that came out before Embracing Ambiguity. And now the eighth one, which is due to the publisher in January, is um, Nurturing Equanimity, Building a Caring Culture. And so I find I'm really, the older I get, the more I wanna talk about how organizations work and specifically how managers treat people in those organizations. I mean, Peter Drucker, uh, the management consultant guru, uh, once said, you know, strategy, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And that's true. Culture is like the most important thing. You can have the best strategy in the world, but if the culture is so negative and toxic and counterproductive, nothing's going to get done. So, you know, embracing ambiguity came about because, the, you know, and we talked about this in class a little bit. You know, we live in a VUCA world. It's volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And uh, so if you want to succeed in today's VUCA world, you have to embrace the ambiguity. You know, don't fight the chaos. Just accept it for what it is. And then figure out a way how to navigate that, right? And then my side side project has been NavigateTheChaos.com, which is mm -hmm. also another book. It's a daily blog. It's actually been probably 10 years in the making mm -hmm. and it's a continual, it's continually updated and it's a different question every day of the year, holidays, mm -hmm. weekends, every day of the year, uh, 365 days. And so 365 questions and blog post. And so I've studied a lot of human behavior, if you will, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and since my PhD is in history, there's a lot of history in that and even in embracing ambiguity like there's some information there uh, so some parking back to history so uh yeah if you want to succeed today i think you really have to just accept the world for what it is uh and it's just it's more chaotic with each passing day i hope that answers your question no, it so does. Um, I was going to say, especially because of COVID, you know, a lot of people are saying like, okay, when are we getting back to normal? And it's like, this is it. Like, this is yeah. the new normal, my dude. You got to just roll with it. Yeah, I think the more you try to use that normal as a crutch, I think the farther behind you're going to fall. I'm not so sure life was ever normal. I mean, if you think about it, right? I mean, if we go back 100 years to 1922, the First World War just ended. It was the Roaring Twenties. That was chaos. Uh, then you had the Second World War. Then you had the you know emergence of the of atomic bombs, nuclear weaponry, and then you know then you have Korean War, Vietnam, uh, and then one international conflict after another. And mm -hmm. then you know you've got something that introduced like something that's. Um, radically uh, innovative, like the uh, birth control pill, right? That sent shockwaves through, you know, uh, cultures around the world. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the David, um, the David Haberstein that wrote the 1950s, I guess, that excellent book, uh, looking at that. And so, you know, culturally, right, there's been this one revolution after another, you know, you had Woodstock, right, you know, uh, in 66 um so or 69 yeah because 99 mm -hmm. was 30 years later yeah yeah i i just watched that documentary oh so did i oh, talk about a train wreck <laughs> holy cow you fell for an hour on that alone what that a was disaster terrible. so yeah Absolutely so terrible. i mean you know the world's always been chaotic and i think when people say oh when are we going to get back to normal i don't i don't even know what that means when people say that i'm like well define normal Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, you know, before COVID. I'm like, well, when was that ever normal? 
Mm -hmm. yeah. I don't know. I mean, I just, I, and I know what they're saying, but my concern is that they use it as a crutch. My other concern is companies use that as a way to increase their profit margin. Oh, it's COVID related. Mm -hmm. Not so sure it's always COVID related. Um, but yeah, the uh, back to normal just, um, for me, it's just every day is just, okay, how are we going to navigate the chaos? It's just, it's just yeah. life is always chaotic. Absolutely. You know? No, I agree with that 100%. And I really like the name of your site and blog that you created. I was reading, I was like, wow, that's like navigate the chaos. I don't, I just, that just has a nice ring to it. So great job. With that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and so I was I, lucky I joined social media late. I was huh. able to get chaos navigation for Instagram and Twitter. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's just happenstance, you know. That's great. I don't do much with it, but, um, you know, they're my notes, and I figured, well, some people might like them. Mm -hmm. And over the years, some people do like them. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was reading on the website that it actually started, you kind of got the idea while you were commuting back and forth to Philly. So I guess walk, like, what was that like just commuting sure. and coming up yeah. with that idea? That's a good question. Um, so in the early generation of cell phones, you know, they, they were obviously a lot slower, you know, you're a lot younger than I am. So they were a lot slower. Um, and a basic, you know, there weren't a lot of graphics. Now we're talking, oh, goodness gracious. When was I in Philly? Oh, eight, yeah, to 14. So those like five and a half years or so. So in 08, 09, and 10, 11, like social media was just being born. I mean, mm -hmm. I think maybe MySpace was around at our Friendster, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there are, you know, they're dinosaurs yeah. now, uh, but you didn't really do a whole lot. And so I would get in your email, I, in my email, I would get, you know, like a question of the day type thing, just a word of the day, mm -hmm. uh, uh, historical event of the day. So I would just, you know, I would read them because by that point I was reading newspapers on, on the phone. There were a lot of people on the train where I would say a lot. I would say half had papers and half are still, you know, migrated over to reading on their phone. And I just started like writing notes to myself and like, you know, oh, that's a good quote. And it literally was like, there was a point where if you go over the Ben Franklin Bridge in from South Jersey into Philly, you got to go into the tunnel eventually because you go underground in Center City and then you just lose connection. So it's only a 24 minute train ride. So I probably had 12, 14 minutes to figure, you know, read it, put something together. And then I would just kind of store it. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know, and I don't even know what year, 2010, <laughs> 11, 12, whatever. Like I just, I wrote a manuscript, like thoughts along the rails, you know, mm -hmm. like, oh, my thoughts along, you know, the, the train ride into Philly. I didn't do anything with it because I'm like, well, this is just my ramblings. Like this doesn't make any sense, you know? <laughs> so then I'm like, oh, and I read somewhere that if you could do a daily blog for the entire a year, that would be a heck of an accomplishment. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah. But then I'm like, well, what's my hook? Like I need a hook. Yeah. You know? So then I started looking at some people that had really interesting brands and then I'm like, okay, so what's my brain going to be that is going to resonate with people mm -hmm. where the URL is still available, right? <laughs> you, know, you got to buy the URL. Right. So they're all, all, all these qualifiers. And then, um, yeah, Navigate the Chaos just came up in my mind thinking, all right, well, you know, what are we dealing with? And we're dealing with chaos. And then I'm like, okay, well, then like, what do you do with chaos? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, well, eventually I settled on Navigate and navigatechaos.com was available. So I purchased it and off I went. <laughs> and right now the website's probably on its fourth or fifth iteration uh, mm -hmm. only because it keeps growing and I just keep adding to it. 
and now there's assessments on it and you know I don't even know what I'm doing with it which is really the most fun because I'm like I can do whatever I want with it right <laughs> now you don't have to have it all figured out you just have to have like the next step figured out so um and I post it every day on Facebook um and people comment on it and you know and a lot of people will read it and then I'll see them this has happened a few times I'll see them in you know at an event or sort of public or something and someone will say wow I really liked your like post and I, I feel like saying well you didn't like it you didn't comment on it right how the hell did I know you read it right so yeah it was really interesting that people are reading it but again these are kind of just my notes way to talk to myself mm-hmm. you know and um to me that's just what's the subtitle like leverage your uh, mind, body, and spirit, I think, mm-hmm. to, you know, to nurture uh, self-love and uh, self-care. And I just, I just think that we don't, like, we don't do that enough. We don't, mm-hmm. you know, I think Instagram ha- and social media has a lot of great, great positive attributes. And it also has some terribly negative attributes. And one of them is you know, especially for women and men, but men too, but yeah. really for women, like, you know, the whole, look how beautiful I am. Look how thin mm-hmm. I am. And for men, it's like, look at my six pack and look at my legs. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, all right. I mean, physical health is important uh, for sure. Uh, but I always argue that mental health is just as important as physical health. You just can't Absolutely. see mental health, you know? And so there's a lot of mental health in my post, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, even in this crazy next book that I'm writing, Nurturing Equanimity, Building a Caring Culture. Like equanimity, I mean, no, culture is all about winning and increasing profits and making shareholders richer. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm gonna mm-hmm. argue you can still do that, but you can create a culture where people actually care about one another. You know, where the policies don't serve as retribution if you need to take your dog to the vet. I mean, you know, there's a compassionate way to manage people. Um, And it's just, you know, there's a reason why there's thousands of books, videos, blogs, and studies on how to manage people. Because people don't know how to treat people. At the end of the day, management is just treating people. That's what it is. You're just treating people. Right. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? How can I help? Right. But no, it just, it's, uh, it's insane mm-hmm. how, you know, how people are poorly managed. And if I can help in any small way, then maybe, you know, um, embracing ambiguity, I think can do that a little bit, but the next book can do that even more. Um, yeah, it's just crazy how, um, yeah. you know, what, 55% or more people want to leave you know their jobs and get another job mm-hmm. um and it's mainly because of how they're treated yep so. i can uh, definitely attest to that in the service industry for sure yeah um, yep when i when i worked at my first like serving job it was a small restaurant owned by a younger individual and you know he took care of us and such and then unfortunately it closed its doors and then i worked at a chain and i had heard that restaurant turnover rates were really high, but I had never seen that at my other place. And like every week someone was quitting. And when the pandemic hit, you know, we all got laid off and then they asked us to come back. And of course I was doing my master's then and I'm very happy I had my graduate assistantship, but that doesn't pay the rent. (laughs) Um, So I had to continue serving and I went back, but a lot of people didn't. And they took that as like, I'm not coming back because I don't like the manager. Uh, (laughs) And I was like, you lucked out, but like, I really need, you know, to have an income coming. And, you know, I didn't want to start somewhere new where I had already known everything. So I definitely agree with that, with the the manager aspect of it. They really do need to treat people, you know, with respect and treat them how they would want to be treated. Right. Right. Yeah. It just doesn't happen, you know, quite often, especially like you said, in the service industry. Yeah. Yeah. I'm lucky in the regard of my 
current employer though because of working remotely they are very understanding of like if I have to take the dog to the vet like I try and make right. it when we I like during lunchtime but they're still right. like so understanding so it's awesome to see that I've had one extreme where it's been really bad and then to go on the other side and be like wow I can be treated with respect and not be right. like okay you need to clock those hours you know what I mean like there's that but you still get your work done at the end of the day that's probably all they care about exactly does Megan get her work done yes or no yes all right then that's fine exactly one yeah. thing I did want to also bring up when we were talking about social media is I think a lot of people now post things as their brand if that makes sense like I feel mm -hmm. like social media is now not just like here's my life but like you know people I feel like everyone's trying to get on the influencer bandwagon and such and just trying right, to like right. mentally kind of realize that like okay, if you're trying to be a brand, like if it doesn't work out, like you're not a failure, like you're still a person and, and you, if you right. still want to post a picture of your dog, like that's valid and fine. Sure. Um, I just think that's, a, it's such a interesting movement we're going through right now, especially with specifically TikTok. Um, yeah. Everyone being like, all right, I want my video to go viral. And it's like, if it doesn't, then it's like, I failed. It's like, well, just post it for fun. Right. Yeah. I'm not even on TikTok. So <laughs> you're not there. missing but, much. You're good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just uh, like, I don't spend a lot of time like on social media. I mean, I go mm -hmm. out and do my thing and get off, but um, like, I know like people spend hours on social media platforms. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't know. I just have other things to do. Like, right. And I know for them, they want to be an influencer. So I guess that's what you do. But Right. I mean, how many influencers can you really have, right? Right, I exactly. There's always going to be, I mean, I always think it's like the world of professional sports. There's only going to be mm -hmm. so many paid professional football players. Mm -hmm. How many paid influencers can there be where you're making enough money that you don't have to do anything else? Mm -hmm. Now, if you have, you know, 50,000 followers and you can make a few thousand dollars here and there, that's great. Sure. But I think at some point, I mean, there's just, I, I don't know, a saturation. I mean, how many can you yeah. actually, and how many will companies pay for? Right. You know, um, you know, if I'm, you know, uh, a representative of Adidas and I wear my Adidas hat, mm -hmm. you know, and I say, where, you know, go on, you know, adidas.com backslash navigate to chaos and use the code, you know, Michael 2022, and then they're going to track, well, how many people, you know, right. did that? And then does that extend my contract? Does it uh, end it, you know, shorter than I, I had wanted it to? So, and everything is quantified and tracked and studied. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, I mean, I, that's people can do what they want. I mean, yeah, free will, right. but right. I just think you need to have like some kind of I've heard people say, oh, I, you know, I'm, I, this is what I want to be. I want to have XYZ show. Mm -hmm. oh, well, how's that going to bring in money? You <laughs> know what I mean? You can do it, but don't mm -hmm. expect it to be your sole source of income. Right. I mean, most artists, uh, and you just go throughout history, you know, had a day job. Mm -hmm. They just didn't. And because they can't do their art for 12 hours a day. Mm -hmm. Most artists, you know, if they're a writer, uh, a poet, photographer you know especially writers and painters sculptors four hours tops five hours mm -hmm. and then they're done i mean writer writers especially can't write all day it just doesn't doesn't work that way right you know so they go and get another job and the best part is you don't have to worry about your art making money mm -hmm. you don't care that it makes money who cares I'm just doing my art, you know? And I think people get that law, that message of course is lost in college. Colleges don't know how to advise students on careers at all, um, <laughs> which is tragic because um, people go to college for work and they don't, you don't study work, you know, in college. It's, it's not right. a required course or anything, which is tragic. Uh, nor do you understand how people navigate careers, which is a whole nother uh, art and science. Mm -hmm. um but yeah i mean i think people should do whatever the heck you want but not not have 
it, you not have it uh, be your sole source of income. Yeah. But again, you can. Right. But, you know, yeah. is that really the smartest thing to do? Exactly. I don't know. I, I agree I with don't that. Know. Uh, so while you were teaching during the pandemic, how was your mental health during that transitionary period? Oh, terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I am not uh, a, 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 a Zoom person. Mm-hmm. I need to be in front of people. I'm a showman. I need the attention. Uh, I go up to people. You know, I walk across the room, front and back. Um you know, and I've done workshops online and press conference presentations online. And I just, I, I'll do them. Mm-hmm. I just don't like them. Yeah. I am not built to be behind the screen. I'm not my mm-hmm. personality. Uh, so I struggle a lot, you know, uh, with my mental health, but luckily, you know, I do have a routine. I'm a mm-hmm. big fan of routines. Okay. You know, I get up every morning and work out anywhere from an, a half hour to an hour or more. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I get my day started right. You know, I publish Navigate to Chaos. I'll read that. I'll remind myself what's important. But, you know, there were days when I had eight hours of Zoom meetings Ugh. and I was just exhausted. I mean, it was just like, this is it's pure hell. I mean, yeah. it's just terrible. Yeah. Yeah, eventually I just said, look, please just call me. I can't look at the computer screen anymore. Mm-hmm. If it was just one person, I'm like, look, I can't do this. You, here's my cell, just call me. Uh, and then I could walk outside, right? You know, if I was on the cell phone, so that was a lot better. But no, I I really struggled. Yeah. And um, you know, I'm pretty comfortable with myself. I mean, I will openly admit, man, I'm struggling. I need a uh, timeout. You mm-hmm. know, and uh, I just need to get myself together for ten minutes. Yeah. And um, what I eventually started doing is just putting blocks of time between meetings so I could clear my head. And sure. I would just close my eyes for 10 minutes. It's like, you know, I would meditate for, you know, for 10 minutes or do whatever for 10 minutes before the next Zoom came in. Yeah. But, you know, it's up to you, like, to manage that. And hopefully mm-hmm. you have a boss that is understanding. And sure. not all bosses are that way. You've said that. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think you have to just say enough. And... Yeah. You know, if you're not going to overeat, right? If you're not mm-hmm. going to stuff your face with six pieces of pie, you know, why would you jam all this information in your head and in your eyeballs? Why not just shut the phone off for a half hour? You know, I always make the analogy of, well, you wouldn't have the third piece of pie. So stop, <laughs> you know, after 20 minutes, you know, or whatever it is, after the third Zoom, don't have the fourth Zoom. Yep. You know, just stop, like treat it the way you would your body. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just can't consume all. And then uh, sadly with Zoom, right? We can just, mm-hmm. we can uh, mute everyone and then we can block our own video. Yep. So there were plenty of times that I would just mute whoever was talking because it was a complete waste of time, but I had to be in the meeting Right. <laughs> and um, and I, I was just like, this has nothing to do with me. Why am I even here? Right. You know, and so I did, and most people just shut off their video. Right. And you knew no one was paying attention. Mm-hmm. Well, then what are you doing? Like, what? Yeah, this could have been an email. <laughs> could have been an email. For sure. <laughs> for sure. What are we doing? Oh, but that's all part of mental health for the organization. It's mm-hmm. part of the culture. Right. I mean, if everyone knows it could have been an email, but they were afraid to tell the boss because the boss yells at them all the time. Well, what, what kind of culture is that? It's, that's not conducive, you know, to any kind of sustainability. So, in fact, it's, it'd be hard pressed to find this organizational culture where, you know, you had uh, a tyrant for an extended period of time where they were so profitable. You know, I'm not talking about you have to hold hands and sing Kumbaya, but (laughs) you know what I mean? Like you can demonstrate some compassion for your people. And the the bar is so low. It's actually quite sad how low the bar is. 
Um, but yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. How about your mental health during the pandemic as a student? Uh, it was definitely an adjustment for the sense of doing the classes on Zoom. I did not like that experience just because I'm a person that like the classroom is a whole experience, like getting ready to go to class, grabbing my bag. So to just yeah. kind of show up and open the laptop and be like, here we are. And right. like you said, a lot of a lot of students wouldn't put their cameras on. And yeah. I was also during that period, I, I don't know if you remember this, but I was getting my uh, English as a second language certification as yeah. well to teach that. Yeah. So I was doing like my practicum and the students wouldn't turn on their cameras. And I was uh. like, this is really hard because I can't see how you're talking right now. Um, so it was, it was hard. I tried to keep like really busy. And I think there was a sense of kind of burnout in that time, but I was like, well, we can't go out and do things. So I'm just going to bury my head in like educational aspects. Um, but I got my master's during the pandemic. So that was go. cool. Congratulations. Um, That's great. <laughs> um, so that was good. Uh, I think that that kind of helped also stay in focus for me that that was all going on because it wasn't like I had to, you know, there was a better excuse to be like, I can't socialize with you because right. I'm doing my master's. There's a worldwide pandemic going on. Right, right. So I think that played in my favor in that sense. But again, um, not being in class, not meeting my classmates. I met my classmates on graduation day that's craziness yeah and it just was it was weird because we took a group picture and it was like i don't really even know you but like right. i know we had classes together so yeah. like eric i only knew um because of undergrad and working at the radio station together so he and i were buddies during our classes but other than that i'm like i don't know who these people are but i right. would have liked to get to know you more sure. Yeah. But also, I don't have time to like text you on the side and like have those little conversations that you might have, like if you're grabbing Starbucks on campus or whatever. Right. So, right. so I miss, right. I felt like I missed out on that. And I really, truly do feel for the undergrads who started their college career during this time frame because it's already a challenge enough, especially if you like any college you go to. I don't care if you're going to community college, it's, it's still a transition for you. Absolutely. Sure. And then to also navigate something that yeah. is like, no one knows what the hell's going on. No, and... <laughs> no one, no one. So um, to have that, like, I, I truly do feel for those uh, under undergrads. And I feel like this has added to their resilience more. Um, and I'm, I'm curious too, on your stance from being in the academic um field for so long like the difference is in students overall like throughout the years I guess in their mental health if you've noticed any changes or patterns um, well you know I, when I graduated college in 88 so 100 years ago <laughs> and you know obviously no internet the internet was just being born um, I think yeah we had email but you know it was very slow and you can only go to certain computers that had like the T1 line. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously no Wi-Fi or anything like that. Um, a laser printer was a big deal. Usually we had dot matrix printers. <laughs> you know, um, colleges didn't really cater to students back then. Mm -hmm. um, there wasn't that concept wasn't around. You know, I remember my first dorm, you know, at Cabrini, um, you know, uh, council, uh, council hall. No, is the council hall? I stayed in a few different places. Xavier Hall was the second one. Okay. And but the first one had like barely had any hot water. You're always taking <laughs> cold showers. The washer and dryer were in the you know crappy basement. Yep. And uh, you just you didn't know any better. Right. You know. Um, I mean, it was nice and clean, you know, but to compared to today, oh, forget about it. Now you need a washer and dryer on the floor. You need a rock climbing wall in your dorm. Like, you know, you have high speed internet and Wi-Fi, you know, every inch of the campus and you got to have plenty of parking and, you know, you have to have 85 different types of food, you know, uh, there was none of that back then. 
And so I think my generation looks at the younger ones today saying, well, you know, we didn't have any of this and we're kind of okay. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't spoiled. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's easy for my generation to look at the younger generation to say, yeah, n- nothing's difficult for you. Like yeah. the road was paved for you. We had to pave the road. You know, and I often remember, I read once, I uh, forget the child psychologist, it's always stuck with me because we have two children. Um, but the job of a parent is to make sure that the child can live without the parent. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it. It's the only job. You know, one job as a parent, make sure the child mm-hmm. can live without them. And now that I, you know, my mom passed away a few months ago. And mm, I'm you so know, sorry. Thank you. Tragically <laughs> sad and terrible. I mean, uh, and dad died seven years ago. So yeah, I mean, they did a great job for sure. Yeah. Um, but they did not, you know, did not make it easy for me uh, mm-hmm. in any, you know, form or fashion. Mm-hmm. I was the first one in my family to go to college. And my dad never drove. My mom learned to drive when she was in her 40s. That was pretty wow. remarkable. Yeah, in Philly. So that was pretty remarkable. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, they didn't, you know, give me, they didn't pave the road for me. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think that's why, you know, both of our children had to work when they were in high school. Mm -hmm. Our son worked at Chick-fil-A and our daughter worked at Friendly's. And I'm like, just work 10 hours a week. That's it. Just a few Mm -hmm. hours. And, you know, during the summer, you can obviously work more, but you have to learn to learn how to follow rules you have to learn how to show up on time you have to learn to deal with the public because it's god awful sometimes yeah and uh but that's a skill set and you know too many teenagers today don't work you know Mm -hmm. uh which is really quite sad go work at mcdonald's go work at any fast food place it's a great first job yep you know um yeah and i think sometimes the colleges like they're not doing the students a service by paving the road and giving them everything that they want. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the real world doesn't give you everything that you want, does it, Meg? Nope, (laughs) that's not. (laughs) Now you graduate college and you realize, oh, wait a minute. The real world's not rolling out the red carpet for me. Right. You know, I love talking to people that are in HR and a hiring manager at a company and they're interviewing a 22-year-old. They want $75,000. They want three weeks vacation. They want, you know, there's all these demands. Right. And the hiring manager is just like laughing at them, saying it's 35000 You get right. two weeks off, take it or leave it. Yep. You know? And they're like, wait a minute. I'm, I just graduated from, and no one cares where you graduated from. Right. No one cares about no, your GPA. No one cares about your GPA. <laughs> That's, no one certainly cares about your major. Or your you minor. Know? They don't really care about like, what can you do for them? Right. And if you exactly. can't answer that question, don't go on the interview, you know? Right. Exactly. But it's, yeah, it's kind of funny how, what, what colleges are doing, they're not doing students a service at all. Mm-hmm. You know? And obviously the mental health of students is at an all time high. You know, rates mm-hmm. of anxiety, depression, loneliness, concern about the future. Uh, right. It's really high. And I get that 100%. Yeah. I get it. Um, and the worst question you could ever ask a young person is, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? Um, right. Because, yeah, it's always the stum- dumbest question ever. And there are dumb questions. And that mm-hmm. is a dumb question. Mm-hmm. No, no, no person over 40 knew what they wanted to do at 18. It's, those jobs don't even exist. You know, what's it saying? There are... The young people are going to have jobs that haven't been created yet using technologies that haven't been invented yet to solve problems we haven't even identified yet. So don't tell me you know what you want to do at 18 because you don't even know what jobs are going to exist in 10 or 20 years. Uh, But yet, you know, the the horrendous question that you keep asking people in the young people is, what do you want to do when you grow up? Who the hell knows? Just worry about tomorrow. Just worry about one day at a time. Right. Uh, but that's not something that they, you can put in a brochure, right? You can't sell that. <laughs> but that's exactly what you should be selling, right. is we prepare you for your next step and every step of your life journey. Right. You know, not that oh, if you graduate from the school, 
the average person makes $54,529. Right. Okay. Uh, okay. That's nice, but I... Mm -hmm. but anyway I don't want to go down that road <laughs> no that's all good it's funny that you mentioned you know the 22 year old graduating with their bachelor's asking for xyz because when I you know, from this being in the service industry and then applying to a quote-unquote I'll say real job but everything's yeah, yeah, a real yeah. job yeah of course. um the job I took was entry level and I'm like okay yeah like I wasn't like oh I have my master's I demand more I was like I get two weeks off Oh my God, right. it's paid? <laughs> what? I get sick time? This is crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, and, and I think a lot of people, and this is just what I'm, you know, learning in my career aspect of life is that people want to be at their top point already. And it's like, why not enjoy the journey to getting to that point? Like, do I want to be a customer support specialist? Well, yeah, what have life? you done no. to deserve the top? Right. <laughs> but what have you done to deserve the top spot? Right. And if you exactly. want the top spot, start your own company, but then you're going to work now 80 to 100 hours a week on your own company. Exactly. People think, oh, it's so easy when you start your own company. Actually, it's twice as hard. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you've got to be able to do every job, you know, work, you start in the mailroom and work your way up. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, the woman that was CEO, I don't know if she still is of Acme Markets. Mm -hmm. started in i think high school or college you know just as a cashier hmm. and she just kept moving up and moving up and moving up you know if you jump too quickly you lose perspective yep. you lose valuable insights and more importantly you, you lose an understanding of what's involved in that part of the company mm -hmm. and then you're going to make decisions you know, without that critical information in, in mind. So there, you know, sadly we don't value experience. You know, I think what's happened is we value money. We value a six pack of abs, right? <laughs> we value, you know, for women, what a size zero, uh, yep. two, uh, size two is probably too big now. Uh, you know, we value, you know, the ginormous houses and cars but really what's of, of any value is experience mm -hmm. right and then only time gives you the experience and so generally you know you're going to find senior leaders in their 50s or above because they've been through a series of battles to get to where they're at so they have knowledge that a 35 year old ceo isn't going to have doesn't mean the ceo 35 year old can't do the job i'm sure they could do it well but they're not going to have the same like perspective you just can't i mean i'm wildly different than i was 20 years ago uh and you know uh, anybody worth their salt is going to say that they keep changing as they get older um, Joan Diddy and the American author once said, you know, I've already said goodbye to a few people I used to be. And I think that's really true. I just love that. I'm not, you know, are you the same Megan that you were five years ago, 10 years ago? No, I was actually thinking about that bachelor's versus master's. Cause originally I had planned on doing, you know, the four plus one where you just keep going into your right. master's. And then I was like, no, I want to have some work experience and I felt like that made me appreciate going through the program more and made me more willing to put in the work, if that makes sense. Sure. Oh, yeah, my yeah, bachelor's, yeah. like your bachelor's, your for the most part, your parents like, all right, you're going to college. Like we're figuring out how you're going to college. Like everyone's doing it versus a mass, like that program. I felt like, all right, I have a graduate assistantship that's helping pay for it. You know, whatever else is owed, that's on me. So I felt like I was more like, all right, let's put in the work and get it sure, done. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah, there's something to be said. Like, the, if you can get a little bit of experience under your belt before you enter a master's program, you're better off, I think, because you have life mm -hmm. experience that can bring that you can bring to the table. Mm -hmm. And some of my best students have always been people in their 30s and 40s. Mm -hmm. that have been away for education for a decade or more and then you know but they've got so much worldly knowledge yeah you know and which i really have always honored and found quite 
you know, uh, helpful to them as they navigate, you know, what does it mean to be in a classroom with, well, if it's a master's a student that just graduated an undergrad, right, 22, 23, 24, right. you know. Um, and then that 24-year-old is a good student, but they really lack the perspective that their 44-year-old, you know, classmate is just going to have. I mean, they'll run circles around them. Uh, because the 44-year-old's got two decades of professional experience and the 24-year-old hasn't worked yet. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, yep. again, still good students. I mean, yeah, they both get A's, whatever, who cares? Yeah. Uh, but the 44-year-old, <laughs> who cares what they're getting? They're great. Uh, but the 44-year-old's going to get so much more out of it, I think. You know me and grades, I could care less. It's I was going to say, do you, do you still use that with your students now? That I don't, you're all getting like when you're like, I don't yeah, care. What yeah, you're doing. yeah, okay, I, yeah. I love that. About the yeah, <laughs> the grade. Yeah. Congratulations. Yay. Right. Y'all right. get A's. Like, can we get right. some work done now? Right. You know, you know, <laughs> that was pretty like, was that crazy when I said it the first time? It was, but like it wasn't at the same time because I got where you were coming from because. I knew you wanted us all to equally, you know, put in the work and be passionate and excited about it and not think about the outcome because I think we're so outcome driven. Correct, that it's like right. We don't enjoy the, pro like I said before, we don't enjoy the process to getting through that. Right. Um, and I think what was cool in your class specifically was that we really all talked out like our, it, like our ideas, like we really kind of find, use the fine tooth comb to like right. go through them and really get other people's perspectives and again I think it would have been a way more like livelier conversation had it been in person yeah of course it is. We, can't, yeah. we definitely couldn't um control that at the time but um yeah the great thing always cracked me up when you would say it I'm like all right I get where he's coming from like I understand that but like the people that are continually like those type a personalities and I'm not shaming them but the type that are like I have to have a 4.0 blah blah right, blah right right yeah like that probably was like drove them nuts and I'm like cool like I'm gonna write this <laughs> I love this I'm like I wish everyone was like this I just want to like get my point across and you know have what I am writing make sense and, and is convincing. And I say this all the time because of you, when you say specificity, specific, I can't even say it now, you know, saves the day, saves wins the, the day. day. Yeah. Wins the day. Yep. I say saves the day, but wins the day. Wins the day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's, the problem, right. Is you, you work towards, as you said, the outcome, you know, the students, oh yeah, I got an A minus, but I need an A. Well, why do you need an A? Right. You know, well, I have to have a 4.0 so I can right. get a better job. And nobody care about your 4.0. <laughs> and just nobody cares. And the sad part is like they use it as a crutch, mm -hmm. right? Like they find meaning in the grade point average. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it has no meaning, like I think creates chaos in their mind because they can't comprehend how there's a world out there where the GPA has no meaning. Mm -hmm. What do you mean? My whole life has been about getting an A. Yeah, well, your whole life has been misguided. I don't know what to tell you. Like, what have you learned? Right. Well, I've learned to get an A. Yeah, but what have you learned? Right, exactly. You can't say that in a job interview. <laughs> you can't say that in a job interview. Like, what do you know about yourself? Well, yeah, I know I can get an A. Yeah, stop saying A's. Stop, stop talking about the damn grade, right? right? It's like, talk to me about something you've learned. Right. And then they always go back to, well, I did learn one time I got a B plus. Like that, all they have as a reference point is the grade. Right. And then usually I just stop the interview and I'm thank them for their time. Like it's, you're not really where you need to be uh, maturity wise and you know what's interesting too is that you usually get a one time a year performance evaluation if you even get one at a if job you ever get one. <laughs> if you ever get one or yeah. you write your own and your boss right. signs it off right 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 she did all she you know she exceeded, all, exceeded there you go and it's like a score of like one to five 
Right. Like, what could you improve on? Well, I probably could have, you know, done X, Y, Z. And it's like, okay. And no one reads them. No one cares. No. (laughs) Yeah. You bring up a good point. You just don't get evaluated at work, Mm -hmm. you know, and if you do, it's kind of bogus. So, right. Yeah. It's really quite sad. I mean, colleges are not really doing a good job. And there's a reason why there's a significant downward trend for the number of people attending college. I mean, the product's not there. Yeah. It's quite sad. And it's, it, it is a shame because, you know, having a college degree at one point was really something. And of course, I'm proud that I did what I did because yeah, I mean, yeah. my sister went to, so she did the community college route and then commuted to Temple. So I'm like the first right. that like lived away, but like, you know, I'm not first generation by any means. Um, right, right. But you know, like that meant something to me to be like, wow, I did this, but now it's just so, it's so oversaturated. Um, and it just feels like it's not as, as special as it once was. And the work that you put in isn't as, I don't, I, I just feel like it's just not as, like I said, I guess special is the word I'm looking for, but well, no, what it does is it challenges you to find meaning in something else, mm-hmm. right? So there's three ways to navigate the world. You know, uh, it's um, power, it's purpose, and it's mm-hmm. pleasure. Mm-hmm. And it's not complicated at all. And, you know, there are people that are merely pleasure-driven, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. drugs, it's alcohol, it's some mm-hmm. other vice, power, They'll do whatever it takes to get to the top. They'll step on whoever. Um, and then purpose. Yeah. And most people would want and, and do try to strive for purpose. But if they are not living a life of purpose, then oftentimes they'll divert their attention to pleasure. Um, seldom power, uh, yeah. but usually pleasure. And that's where they kind of you know get in trouble. Uh, but yeah, I mean, generally people seek a life of purpose mm-hmm. and uh, the more purpose you have, I think the clearer your mental health, the greater self-awareness, the more self-love you have, the more self-care you have. Um, and so people, there should be a class on in every elementary, should start in elementary school. It should be taught at every grade, every year, uh, you know, half hour a week. I don't care what it is. Mm-hmm. But it's how to find, you know, your life's purpose. Yeah. And that's going to change. You know, I cared for my mom the last year of her life while having a crazy job and writing my books. And, you know, we sold her car. Then we sold mm-hmm. her house. We moved her into an assisted living facility. Uh, and it was complete chaos for a good mm-hmm. probably 12 months. Mm-hmm. And that was my purpose was to care for my mom. And then she, you know, she's no longer with us. So mm-hmm. I've had to figure out, okay, well, you know, what's my next purpose in life, yeah. you know? And luckily I have some skills and- Yeah, know, you have a lot uh, of skills, not just some. So. Give yourself more credit <laughs> yeah. than that. Thanks. Well, you know, but at least I'm aware of it. And now I'm searching for like, well, what is my next purpose then? Like, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. what is it? Um, mm-hmm. But I know that it's a void that has to be filled mm-hmm. and- you know, it's a process. It's not going to happen, you know, overnight. Um, but I do remind, and, and the thing is like, when you get older, things are taken from you. People are taken from you, but you don't know that when you're in your twenties. I mean, unless God forbid you had like, you know, someone close to you die for whatever reason, tragically, mm-hmm. but generally, you know, in the normal course of events, you know, you make it into your forties, fifties, sixties, your parents start to go and maybe mm-hmm. some aunts and uncles and, you know, all of a sudden I'm at the top of the family tree and it's like, well, okay, well, we all know what's coming right, <laughs> uh, right now. Right. Yeah, so how do we fill the time in between here right. and there right. purposefully? Right, right. You know, the kids are older, the living, they don't need me as mm-hmm. they did. Uh, mm-hmm. We've done our job, thankfully. Your parents have done a remarkable job with you. You're doing great things. (laughs) Uh, So then the parents have to figure out like, well, what am I doing? Right. You know, so that's why so many people in their fifties and sixties 
they'll start a whole nother career. Yeah. They'll start doing like painting or playing a musical instrument or running a charity or something. Uh, because why they're searching for purpose, you know, but if you know what you're searching for, and if you know why you're doing what you're doing, I think you're unstoppable. Yeah, I really do. I think, um, you know, of so many, I would say the vast majority of people struggle with finding a life purpose and, um, aren't really sure how, and, um, you know, and if, if I had a wish for navigate the chaos, you know, uh, it would be that it gives, and some people have said it does really give them something to think about each day. It would be that like, you know, people have incredible potential and I hope that they, you know, find it in some small way. Yeah. And I think the prompts that you're bringing up for people are really things that we think about, but we don't think hard about out of that correct (laughs) yeah we don't think about the hard questions Mm -hmm. now it's far easier to divert our attention and spend 20 minutes on tiktok and not think about the question of the day where we have to look at ourselves like we'll look in the mirror we'll make sure our hair is neat and there's nothing Mm -hmm. in our teeth and our excuse me clothes match and all that fun stuff but do we look into our heart do we look into our soul do we look into our mind Right. Do we really take that moment of, you know, self-reflection to increase our self-awareness to figure out why am I doing, what am I doing? Uh, and is this, is who I am, who I want to be? Mm-hmm. And if it's not, then who do I want to be? And how, what's the next step to creating the future person I want to be? Yeah. You know, and it is a, life is a gradual unfolding uh, but only if you put the time and energy into it uh, to create the person you want to be. Yeah, I yeah. agree with that 100%. Yeah. So uh, I guess the best way we'll end this is how do you practice self-care? What's your favorite thing to do self-care wise? Well, it used to be like running long distance. Mm-hmm. And after like 20 plus years of running and biking, I literally just got bored of it and I didn't, I think I wanted to do more things. So I started studying yoga, I don't know, seven years ago or whatever. Then I became a certified yoga instructor. Then I let that lapse during COVID because that was too hard. So I practice yoga a lot. I've read a lot of yoga, still read a lot. I'm fascinated by meditation. And so each morning, you know, there's some, form of yoga, some form of meditation. It could be weights. It could be the bike. It could be a walk, but then Mm -hmm. it ends with yoga and meditation. And then I read the navigate the chaos or I'll prep tomorrow's navigate the chaos. Mm -hmm. And it forces me to look at the question and it forces me to look at someone else's life and see how they navigated the chaos. And then it just, it kind of gives me fuel on, you know, how to get ready for the day. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. I love, I didn't know that about the yogi thing. That's so cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, a big guy like me doing yoga is kind of funny, but uh, (laughs) yoga is not about flexibility at all. Yoga actually means the etymology of the word, you know, Mm -hmm. means the cessation of the fluctuations of the mind. So the only, you only do the postures or the asanas, uh, the movements, and you, you, you do that to kind of, prepare the body for the most important pose, which is Savasana at the end, where Mm -hmm. it's corpse pose. And that's where your mind is supposed to stop thinking. Mm -hmm. And that's why you do the poses so that you can exhaust the brain and you need that pose to just relax completely. And Mm -hmm. so uh, in the East, it's it's, it's no nothingness. You're actually thinking of nothing. Your mind is blank. But in the West, we've bastardized so much of the East. Uh, in the West, you know, when we're thinking of um, like mindfulness, we tend to think of like, oh, I'm going to focus in on the flower and just mm-hmm. see the flower. Mm-hmm. But in the East, you're actually not thinking of anything. Your mind mm-hmm. is clear. Mm-hmm. It's the cessation of the fluctuations of the mind. And yeah, yoga has nothing to do with flexibility. It, it literally mm-hmm. has zero to do with flexibility. But in the West, we've bastardized that. And uh, that's quite unfortunate. So, 
again, that's a whole nother hour conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Michael, where can people find you online if they want to check uh, out the website? Yeah, so if you go to michaelevinsonphd.com, that's my personal website. I think my uh, social media links are there. You can also go to navigatethechaos.com. The daily blog is there. Uh, there's all kinds of information on that. So michaeledmondsonphd.com or navigatethechaos.com. And I will link those in the show notes so you can oh, find them you, easily. You so got please it. Please email me the link to this. I'm going to post it. I will for sure. Thank okay. you so much for coming thank on. Thank you. It's been an honor, Meg. Continue oh, the great work you. you're doing. Thanks a latte for listening. Cup of Corb is created, edited, and produced by me, Megan Corb. If you like the podcast, be sure to subscribe to Cup of Corb on your preferred streaming site. And please leave a five-star review as this really helps spread the word about the podcast. And feel free to share with a friend. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at Cup of Corb and check out the latest updates at cupofcorb.com.